You're listening to Inspirational Perspective with Lamel Harris. Inspirational Perspective is all about murdering mediocrity and living the best life possible. Are you living the best life possible? You can subscribe to the Inspirational Perspective blog at www.inspirationalperspective.com. Follow Linnell on social media. Go to Facebook and like the Facebook page, Inspirational Perspective. You can also follow Linnell on Twitter and Instagram at the handle Linnell Harris. In this recording, Linnell overviews what he learned during his time at the World Business Forum in New York. Let's join the conversation. Tonight, I have a a very uh, special treat for you. So you want to stay tuned for the entire hour. Um, I got some good stuff that I'll be sharing. Now, I was in New York City earlier to attend the annual World Business Forum. Um, and this afternoon, as I was preparing for the show, I came across my notes for the forum. And all of a sudden, I, I kind of I decided to completely change up the show this evening. So let me set some context. The World Business Forum is a conference where many of the world's business executives and CEOs come to hear from some of the best and brightest minds. And these, you know, these individuals come and share their learning, their thoughts and perspectives on the challenges facing business and government today. And this forum is held at Radio City Hall every year. And the auditorium is almost always at capacity. And, you know, it's at capacity with uh, executives and individuals who uh, uh, run Fortune 500 companies or entrepreneurs who are running their own companies uh, that typically tend to be rather successful because, of, you know, the price tag is a little steep. Uh, admission to the forum carries, I would say, a you know, pretty hefty price. Um, and so... Unfortunately, there's a lot of knowledge um, being shared that goes unheard by many of us that I would say really needed. Well, that was until tonight. Um, This evening, what I would like to do is shift from our normal format and share my notes and learnings from this year's forum, which took place this past Tuesday and Wednesday. And so I'm hoping you all are okay with that. Of course, I can't see you. But, you know, I always invite your phone calls. Um, So this is what is going to happen tonight, okay? I'm going to freestyle through my notes. And I I recommend that you grab a pen and take notes as I share because you'll be getting insights from people like Clayton Christensen, who is a renowned Harvard University economics professor, and others like Stephen D. Levitt. Uh, who is the co-author of Freakonomics, um, and he is uh, a University of Chicago economics professor. Uh, so you're going to be hearing from, you know, through me, the likes of, you know, some of the world's brightest minds. And I would say, ultimately, you can almost sum up this hour as a $2,000 gift. Probably more than that if you figure in the expenses for transportation and hotel. You know, you know New York is, is an expensive city. You know, so I I would say you want to write down what I share with you this evening. And if you're driving, you know, take the moment right now to call a friend, tell them to tune in and write down what I share. Okay. All right. 2013 World Business Forum. All right. So the first individual I'm going to share the cliff notes from is Clayton Christensen. All right. And so, you know, to give you some context and, you know, a a little bio on uh, Mr. Christensen, 
He is the Kim B. Clark Professor of Business Administration at the Harvard Business School, where he teaches one of the most popular elective classes for second year students, um, Building and Sustaining a Successful Enterprise. So you entrepreneurs out there, you definitely want to perk up on this one. Or if you're thinking about entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurialism, he is regarded as one of the world's top experts on innovation and growth. And his ideas have been widely used in industries and organizations throughout the world. Uh, as a matter of fact, Mr. Christensen, Clayton Christensen, was on the cover of Forbes magazine back in 2011 and was noted as the everyday business leaders, you know, the advisor for everyday business leaders, um, basically. So um, he is known as one of the most influential business thinkers in the world. And so what I want to do real quick is share, you know, some of the cliff notes I have from his talk. OK. And so what he did is he talked mainly about the economy right now. And I think that's uh, a lot of us are you know, concerned about that. And what he said is, you know, the economy seems to be stuck. And he shared that whenever there was an economic recession in the past, there was typically a six-month lag in job recovery. So, for instance, back in the 90s, when we had a, a similar type of economic crisis, actually, no, I'm sorry, before the 90s, back in the 70s, when we had an economic crisis similar to where we were going, we only felt the effects of that for about six months. There was a six-month lag you know, with layoffs, et cetera, before people started being called back to work. All right, So that's the 70s, 80s. In the 90s, he was sharing, you know, something different happened. It extended from six months to 15 months, okay? And so the, that economic lag for people getting jobs lasted about 15 months. And then, you know, he talked about 2001, and we know what happened in 2001, the economic crash associated with 9-11. And that took 19 months. There was a 19-month lag. So now we're looking at a year and a half before people are getting back into work. And then he went on to talk about 2008. So 2008 comes and all of a sudden we see a lag like we've never seen before. A 70 month lag. I mean, we've been at this now since 2008 where, you know, we really haven't seen a rebound, a sufficient rebound in the economy based on jobs. All right. So why is that happening? And this is what he shared. And, you know, this is the piece that I think you all will find interesting. You know, in order to explain why this was happening, he shared his model for how innovation in business works. So stick with me through this, because there's three different things that he shared. OK, what he talked about were three types of innovation. And, you know, when we're talking about innovation, we're talking about, you know, things that that basically, you know, hit the marketplace that we as consumers you know, want to use. OK, so the first type is disruptive innovation or, you know, empowering innovation. So what is an example of that? You know, let's think back to the early uh, 1900s with the Ford Model T. OK, so the one of the reasons why Henry Ford is such an icon is he introduced disruptive innovation by creating a car, the Model T, that normal people could buy. All right. Before that, cars were very expensive and not affordable for the masses. And by putting the Model T into production, that became disruptive technology and the masses were now able to buy cars. OK, so that's the first type of innovation. The second type of innovation is what we call sustaining 
or uh, su- you know sustenance. Okay, sustenance. Uh, so sustaining innovation is you know something very simple like you know Toyota builds a Camry. Okay, and then they decided you know some years ago that you know what let's build a hybrid called the Prius. All right, and so they basically took the car and made it more efficient and provided a new product for those of us who care about being green or those of us who don't like gassing up because it's expensive. Okay, so that's sustaining innovation. All right. Now, the third type of innovation is efficiency innovation. Okay, and this type of innovation in business is when you're creating assembly where you can create a product faster than you normally do. So, for instance, Let's take Toyota again. You know, let's say it used to take them six weeks to push out a car. Now, what they do is they bring in engineers, they create more efficiency in their assembly lines, and now they can produce a car cheaper and faster, let's say two weeks, okay? So creating a car faster with fewer people, but the same quality. Now, this is the important part, fewer people. Because the fewer people part is... Part of the reason why the jobless rate has not changed. Okay. And what he basically shared is that what's being taught in business school these days, or what he called the Church of New Finance, is this idea that CapEx, and when I talk about CapEx, this is, you know, you know, basically capital expense, right? This is what companies use to invest back into their businesses. That CapEx is now kind of being hailed, and instead of putting CapEx into disruptive innovation, what they're doing is they're holding their money and focusing on efficiency innovation. So what does that do? That eliminates jobs. And by constantly doing this quarter after quarter after quarter to please shareholders, that is why we see the 70-month lag in jobs that we see now. You know, so we we often think, okay, why is this not coming back? And it's interesting because if you leave it to a conversation around politics, right, the Republicans would say it's the Democrats' fault. The Democrats would say it's the Republicans' fault. But ultimately, this is a big business problem. This is a big business problem. Okay. So what he was sharing is the system is broken because of the way companies measure things. Now, why would I share that with you all? Well, first and foremost— I honestly believe that a lot of us are looking for a bounce. And because we are looking for this bounce, I personally believe sometimes we're not going after creating and producing what we need to produce to get money to take care of ourselves because we're waiting for someone to sign us up for a job. Okay? And what I'm here to tell you tonight is what I learned from Clayton Christensen is... The establishment, Fortune 500 companies, because of how they're doing things, you will not see a plethora of jobs come back to the United States of America in the next three to five years. It's just not going to happen, right? Unless something significant shifts, we're not going to see it. Now, that's not good news, but it is a reality check because I think that what a lot of us need to do is say, all right, if that is the truth, then now what? And that's what I was really thinking. Now, you know, Merck, reading the Wall Street Journal uh, Wednesday, just cut research and development. Well, what is research and development? 
that is disruptive innovation, right? This is how, you know, they're a pharmacy company and they come up with new drugs and a new drug can hit the market. And if it explodes, that creates jobs, ultimately provides some type of new medicine for us. And, you know, there's money. Well, in order to create the drug, you have to go through research and development, right? They just cut it by 20% over the next four years. So that's a perfect example of how you can see this with Fortune 500 companies right now. All right. Another good example is take a look at Japan, okay? America is following the same path as Japan. Because if you look at Japan in the 90s, during the time of Toyota innovation, Japan had great employment rates. But since 1990, the only disruptive innovation Japan has produced is the Nintendo Wii. That's it. Nothing else. And so when you look at the country now, they're on the outs. They are struggling with their economy. The jobless rates are are high. And now let's take this back to America, right? America's output of disruptive innovation has dropped significantly, very much like Japan, okay? We only put out one-third of the disruptive innovations that we used to put out about 30 years ago. We've become a consuming nation rather than a producing nation. And so due to our lack of desire to invest capital and innovation, we have broken our economy. (laughs) All right? And so that is why I'm saying... You know, if you're looking for that gig that's going to, you know, pay you 20 bucks an hour in a factory or, you know, pushing out, you know, uh, something, you know, that midnight shift like we used to have it back in the day. Because I remember that. I, re- I mean, back in the 80s and 90s, it was out there. Right. If you wanted to work, you could work. It's probably not going to happen. And, and later in the show, I'm going to share some more reasons with, you know, globalization why it's probably not going to happen. OK. Okay, so how does one find new markets? And this is for you entrepreneurs out there. And Mr. Christensen covered this. Well, what you want to do is ask yourself this question. You want to write this down. What is the job customers are trying to do? I'm going to say it one more time. As an entrepreneur, if you have new ideas and you're trying to create something that's going to make you money, the question you want to ask is, What is the job customers are trying to do? So an example, why do we sell cell phones? What does that provide the customer? Well, you can sell cell phones because customers have the job of trying to stay connected. And so I hope that makes sense. You know, there's a quote by Peter Drucker. The customer rarely buys what the company thinks it's selling. So they're buying something that can do a job for them. So if you're thinking about being an entrepreneur, just ask yourself, are you creating something that will allow the customer to do a job? All right. Uh, Real quick, I'm going to shift to uh, the next uh, uh, speaker that caught my attention. Speakers, actually. Now, these are two sisters, uh, Maggie Wilderotter. And Denise Morrison. And Maggie is the CEO of Frontier Communications. And Denise Morrison is the president and CEO of Campbell Soup. I think all of us have some Campbells in our cabinets, right? Now, what's interesting about these two is they are sisters. They're sisters, and both sisters are CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. So what I want to share with you about them is really quick, okay? 
The real takeaway here is the power of intentional parenting, because that is what they talked about. So how do two women who are sisters end up being powerful women in a space where only 4% of CEOs are women in Fortune 500 companies? How do they, two sisters, end up being CEOs of big companies? Well, both of these women talked a great deal about the lessons they learned from their parents. So parents, this is where you want to listen and this is what you want to write down. Intentional parenting, bringing your children to the table when it comes to the business you call your home and the work that you do outside of your home can create within them a business IQ that will provide them a platform and almost the ability to get ahead faster in corporate America. Now, within our community, we struggle with this. And so I think it's a great idea to start early. I think it's a phenomenal idea to start early. As soon as they can comprehend what you're talking about, you should begin talking to them, okay? One story was about how the father would tell them about everything that was going on at the office. He would talk about the projects he was working and the challenges he was having with these projects. He would also talk about the politics of the office and how he navigated them. How powerful is that? So here it is. These young girls, I think they talked about, you know, one of them was 13 years old when she's having this type of conversation with her father is getting this wisdom and knowledge about how to navigate the corporate environment. And, you know, he understood that he had daughters who already had a, you know, kind of a strike against him. Right now, some of you know, some of some of you out there are women. And if you're an African-American woman, you have the woman against you and you have the African-American against you. And so your daughter, your son, how are you preparing them today psychologically through the stories that you share, the knowledge that you can share that will help them be powerful in business tomorrow, whether they're an entrepreneur or they happen to work in a corporate environment. Okay. The last thing I want to say about them is they remembered their mom telling them that there is no can't. And then one of them said, she used to always say can't C A N apostrophe T is not in the dictionary, which is true. There is only one thing that you can say, find the way that you can. Now, I mean, (laughs) you can minimize that if you want to but both of them somehow end up being ceos i don't think that's by chance now they wanted earrings and so you know these as little girls they wanted earrings they want to get their ears pierced okay and so in order to get earrings they had to do a benefit analysis on why it made sense and provide it to their father And, you know, basically he made them develop this analysis over one year before he finally said, all right, makes sense to me. You can get your ears pierced. (laughs) Okay, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in that. I hope this is working for you guys. I really do. All right. So coming up and I'm going to start moving fast. I want to share a little bit from Jack Welsh. Okay. Um, and he, you know, he he talked quite a bit. And, you know, if you guys don't know who Jack Welsh is, he's an American business executive author. Uh, he was the chairman and CEO of a General Electric from 81 to 2001 for 20 years. And during his tenure at GE, the company's value rose 4000 percent. All right. So 
I think there's somebody who we can uh, listen to. Uh, in 2006, get this, Welch's net worth was estimated at $720 million. And when he retired from GE, he took a severance payment of $417 million. Hmm. I'd like to retire with just half of that, okay? All right, so Jack was taking Q&A from the audience, so this will seem a little bit all over the place, but stick with me, all right? I'm going to move fast. All right, so he got a question about the government shutdown. And, you know, it's interesting what he said, but he was like, you know, uh, he had just come from Europe. And he was like, if you look at what happened last year, Greece was going under, Spain was going under, Europe was basically faltering. And so the U.S. government shutdown is not a big deal. And basically, he says, not a big deal to Europe. It's not a big deal around the world. And it's definitely not a a big deal to U.S.-based global businesses. At first, I disagreed with him. But I tell you what, after seeing the stock market this week, I would have thought that it would have fallen. And it's been staying fairly steady. So I guess the man knows what he's talking about. On leadership, he talked about, and this is for you leaders out there, really important. What he said is, every manager over the age of 35 35 should be considered dangerous by their business. And then he was like, why would you say, why would I say that? He was like, because the rhythm of business hasn't changed in 40 years, yet everything else around it has. You know, I just share with you what uh, Clayton Christensen, Christensen talked about around the economics of business. Okay. Now, this is what I really want you to listen to. He talked about education. And so he, you know, someone got up and asked a question about education. It was actually a dean from, uh, I believe, Stanford. And uh, the answer that he gave on education is really interesting, okay? Uh, what he said is, you know, so they were talking about self-paced learning and the, you know, this disruptive impact that's having on education. And what he said is self-paced learning is only in the first inning, okay? Now, what am I talking about self-paced learning? Yeah, this is what I talk about every weekend. Knowledge is out here. There is no reason for us to be ignorant of anything that we do not want to be ignorant about. If you have an Internet connection and you can get on Google, you can learn anything you want. Now, can you get a job? Well, maybe if you don't have a degree, you can't necessarily get through the barrier of getting into corporate America. However, can you start your own business? Absolutely, you can. Because everything you need to be a successful entrepreneur is right there on the Internet. I mean, from the beginning to the end. There's a a website called Khan University. At Khan University, for free, you can learn algebra, geometry, economics. I mean, you just take the course and basically you come out on the other side knowing it. You didn't get a grade, but can you use it in your own business? Absolutely. If you're an entrepreneur, you're thinking about going back to school. You think you're going to be an entrepreneur for life? I would suggest instead of dropping $35,000, invest that into your business and go to school every night on the Internet. Just my personal opinion. Okay. now, if you're in corporate America, sometimes the credentials make sense. But if you're an entrepreneur, hey, get on the Internet, learn what you need to learn, kill it. And that's what he was basically talking about. And what he said is, you know, work must be done to crack the union so that innovation can happen in education. Now, remember that Jack Welsh is a Republican, and so that's going to be his stance on that, okay? But he did make a good point. He said the school system of having class for 180 days was to allow children to help with the harvest. Now, now think about that, all right? 
our children don't help with the harvest anymore. And they haven't helped with the harvest for over 100 years. However, education and how we do education has not changed. And so obviously education needs to evolve in the United States of America. So definitely want you to hear that. Now, why would I say that? Parents, we have full control over how our children learn. And so if you think that they're only competing with other American kids, you are sadly mistaken because globalization is going to put them in a global world where they're competing against children in China, children in India, children in the Philippines. And if they're taking the summer off, then they are already disadvantaged. Even if they're getting straight A's in school, they're disadvantaged. You know, I gave a presentation some couple of months ago. And one of the things I said in the presentation is if you don't have global knowledge, you can be considered ignorant because global knowledge will be the new knowledge in the 21st century. OK, I'm going to keep going. Um, he talked about leadership, uh, making, developing, promoting people and, and, and why it's the right thing to do based on values. And I'm going to skip a little bit. Let's, I want to make sure I get as much of this to you guys as possible. So, you know, he talked about leadership. Those are things that we could talk about later. I share that often. Bob Moritz. OK, let's skip to Bob Moritz. Bob Moritz is the chairman and CEO of PricewaterhouseCooper. All right. Now, you know, if you don't know what PricewaterhouseCooper is, I say get online, check it out. Very powerful global company. All right. He shared the five biggest trends of the 21st century. You want to write this down because as you, if you're especially if you're an entrepreneur, this will impact how you can sell. If you work in corporate America, this can impact what you're doing and whether or not you keep a job and, and how viable you will be with that job. Number one, the economic shift. The economic shift is uh, 2001, of 2001, 2008, and 2013 is playing a huge role in what's happening in the 21st century. What does that mean? The 21st century started with the economic downturn. 2001 was the beginning of the 21st century. It started with the economic downturn. Again, go back to what Mr. Christensen said. Do not expect for it to get better. I'm sorry. Don't. Okay. Number two, the spending demographic. The spending demographic is shifting. Guess who has the most buying power? It is the ethnic minority in the United States. What are we doing with that? What are we doing with that? I'll tell you. We are consumers, but what we need to do is take our money and become producers. All right. I hope you all are getting this. Number three, the Asian workforce. Again, I said earlier, your children aren't going to be competing with other American children. They're going to be competing with Asians. I'm telling you, that is where the bulk of the population is. Indians are considered Asians, you know, from Taiwan to China to Japan. It's a huge shift coming and guess what they won't have to work here to take your job and we're already seeing it number four the urban shift many cities of the future don't even exist yet well in the united states we have infrastructure in asia and eastern europe they do not and they are in the process actually in one country of building a city from scratch do you understand what I'm saying? They're going to use 21st century technology and build a city from scratch. Do you think that city will far, 
far exceed the capabilities of the cities in the United States? If you don't think so, you need to think again. Number five, technology is the enabler of all these trends. The speed of information transfer is changing the game. And we all have access to this. So how do we begin to engage? All right, I'm moving on to Jeb Bush. Yep, Jeb Bush, George Bush's brother. I don't have a lot to share from him. As a matter of fact, I had to stop myself from getting up (laughs) while he was speaking. But you know what I always say, and I say it to you guys, right? You can learn from anybody. And so he ended up giving five steps to success. He's a successful man. He comes from a successful family. I'm going to share it with you all, all right? Number one, tell people what you're going to do and then do it. Real simple, but hard. (laughs) Okay, number two. Set big aspirational goals. He calls them BHAGs. I think some of you have heard this before. Big, hairy, audacious goals. Number three, when you're coming up with something or when you're trying to solve a problem, always ask the question, why not? So if you're thinking, you're brainstorming, somebody says, oh, we can't do that. Why not? Why can't we do that? Continue always question, why not? Why not? Why not? Because a lot of times that's where you find the solution. I'm going to hit that on that again later from another speaker. Number four, stick with it. Stick with it. One of the biggest problems that we have is we give up too fast. I've talked about persistence over and over again on the show. But stick with it. Stick with it. Number five, humility. (laughs) None of us have all the answers. Be humble enough to listen. I think that, you know, hey, Jeb Bush knocked it out the park on that one. All right. All right. Let's move on to day two. Um, Stephen Levitt and Stephen Dubner. All right. Now, here are two very interesting gentlemen. They wrote the book Freakonomics and they also wrote the book Super Freakonomics. If you do not have them in your library, I suggest that you get them. It will open your mind to think differently about what you think you know. Okay. Super Freakonomics. And I'll give you actually have it here in the studio. Here's some of the things they talk about. Right. How is a street prostitute like a department store Santa? Hmm. And and they do extensive research on how prostitutes make their money in in this book. Okay, it it is really interesting. And they did it in the city of Chicago. Check this out. Do you know in the city of Chicago that a prostitute is more likely to end up servicing a Chicago police officer versus getting arrested? Mm, They have the stats. Very interesting. One of the other things. Why are doctors so bad at washing their hands? Uh Oh, (laughs) I wonder why we get infections. Another one. How much good do car seats do? Here it is. There's a push for car seats. They're saying based on the data, ah, safety might be an illusion. Did I not talk about that before? Yeah, I did. What's the best way to catch a terrorist? Did TV cause a rise in crime? Hmm. Got to wonder. You know, I preach against TV unless I'm on. Watch me tomorrow night (laughs) at 630. Uh, You know, what do hurricanes, heart attacks and highway deaths have in common? Okay. That's some of the things that they have in the book Super Freakonomics. Now, who are these gentlemen? Stephen D. Levitt is a professor of economics at the University of Chicago, a recipient of the John Bates Clark Medal, uh, awarded to the most influential economist under the age of 40. Stephen J. Dubner is a former writer and editor of the New York Times and is the author of Turbulent Souls and a number of other books. All right. Now, what did they have to say? I'm going to say this real quick because I want to make sure that I get to Nancy Cohn and Alec Ross Before we end the show, what they said is when you have a problem, don't just look at the problem head on. Redefine the problem. Look at the problem from different angles. 
And this is so, so, so good. Yeah, and I hope you're getting the depth of what I just said. Look at the problem from different angles. Often when we have problems, even in our community, we look at them head on and they seem daunting. And what Stephen Levitt was saying is look at the problem from different angles because you can begin to chip away at it with different solutions. The other thing he said is don't accept barriers. Okay, don't accept barriers. And what he said is most of the barriers that we have are cognitive barriers, barriers in our mind. And, you know, I've talked about the mind extensively. But most of the barriers we have are cognitive barriers. They exist not in reality, but in our minds. And so what he said is challenge the barrier because more than likely it's in your thinking. Then he also said we are too obedient to barriers. We see a barrier. We detour. We have to get better at walking and knocking down walls. And then last but not least, he was like, relax, relax and then look for a solution. And this is really good. I know I have some entrepreneur friends. When they run into a problem, that's how they eat. Typically, you stress out. You stress out and you start working harder, trying to do everything. What he's saying is take a step back. It might be time when you have your biggest problem. It might be time to just take a little money out the bank, go on vacation and relax, because guess what might happen? You'll be able to look at your problem from a different angle and solve it. Man, again, these are the best minds, the best minds. Okay, Nancy Cohn. I'm not going to be able to hit everything that she talked about. But she's a historian at Harvard Business School. Nancy researches entrepreneurial leadership. And, you know, she talks about how past and present leaders crafts lives of purpose, hmm, purpose, worth and impact. All right. And she had a quote that I love. She said, leaders are people that help us stretch ourselves and do things that we otherwise would not do alone. Would not do alone. All right. And I really hope that's what I'm doing for you all, stretching you to help you do things that you would not do alone. Now, that's what coaching's all about. And she talked about Abraham Lincoln extensively, right? And I, I don't know if you guys have had the opportunity to see Lincoln the movie, but if you haven't, go watch it. Rent it. Watch it. You know, uh, here's a man who had no formal education but had a continuous journey of learning all through his life and became the president of the United States, not just the president of the United States. He was able to effectively lead under pressure. And he had a very interesting way of leading with urgency and patience, leading with urgency and patience. And one of the things she talked about with him is the amount of emotional intelligence that he had and, you know, and how he used that as a core component. And then she talked about the, you know, the importance of emotional intelligence and competent and effective leaders. Now, if you don't know what emotional intelligence is, I don't have time to break it down. Google it. Google it. That's why I asked you guys to write things down tonight, because you're going to have to do homework after this to really get the fullness of what I'm sharing. All right. Okay. she talked about Ernest Shackleton. I'm not going to share that because I have nine minutes and I really want to spend some time on Alec Ross. All right. Now, Alec Ross was the senior advisor for innovation to Secretary of State Hillary Clinton for the duration of her term as Secretary of State. And his role, that role was created for him so he could blend technology with diplomacy. This has never happened before. Again, this is the 21st century, okay? And, uh, you know, he served as one of Hillary's tech gurus. And so Ross led the State Department 
he led their efforts to find practical technology solutions for some of the globe's most vexing problems on health care, poverty, human rights, and ethnic conflicts. And so this earned him quite a few accolades, one of which was the Distinguished Honor Award. All right, I can keep going, you know, about why you should think this guy is important and smart. L- you want to listen, okay? Because what he talked about is huge, and this is why I'm ending the show with it. All right? So what he talked about is the promise and peril of the 21st century. And what he started with is power. There is a significant power shift taking place right now. And what he said is, you know, so you have 196 countries on, the, you know, on this globe, okay? And what he said is power is shifting from a hierarchical approach to a dispersion of tribal leaders. So what does that mean? Think about hierarchy, okay? Hierarchy is, you know, a business, a CEO, executive vice presidents. Underneath that, you have senior vice presidents, vice presidents, directors, uh, managers, et cetera, okay? If you're not in corporate America, the hierarchy is there's a boss and you have workers, okay? <laughs> That's just basically how it works, okay? So what is tribal leadership? Tribal leadership is individuals who have people who follow simply because they want to, simply because they want to. And this phenomenon is being is, is put into place by social media. OK. And and as a result, there are leaders who are being created because people choose to follow them. And the more people that choose to follow them, the more uh, power that they have. And so that is the, spur- the dispersion of tribal power that he talked about. And this is really important. You want to remember this and start to look for signs of it, okay? Start to look for signs of it. We're living in a more distributed world. Data is the raw material of the digital age. Now, when I talk about data, what I mean is information. Now, get this. 90% of the data that has been produced was produced in the last two years. 90% of the data on this planet that has been produced was produced in the last two years. What does that mean? That means information, which is power, if you use it and take action, is now so available that we're getting a plethora, loads and loads of information. What is, so two things can happen. One, and he didn't share this, I'm just sharing it with you. One, you can, you can get caught in the confusion of information, and I think that's what we do with Facebook, right? You go, you know, looking at people's pictures and, oh, my God, they went to Cabo. They went to, they did this. Ah, whatever. Or you can be very specific about what you want to learn and learn it because it's there for you to get. All right? It's there. You can have it. Two things that will change the world as we know it in the next five years. One is the conversion of currency to code. Now, I've said before on this show, I believe the biggest disparity will be technology in this community. I cannot stress how important it is for us to begin to really understand technology. Some of you, you know, you shy away from complicated things. You want to stay with the iPhone because you don't understand Android. It's too complicated. Learn it. Learn it. The more complicated you can be with your technology, the more likely you will be to survive in this 21st century. It is upon us. Digital currency will be here in the next five years. Okay, the perfect example of that is the Bitcoin. Go to Bitcoin.com. Learn about it. 
but people are using it. It is completely untraceable, and there are millions of dollars of Bitcoin being transferred every day. And some of you don't even know about it. So what happens if you don't have a connection? What happens if you don't understand uh, data and, and data transfer? You get left behind. How do, you, how do you even begin to start a business once it goes to digital currency and you don't know how to use technology? I'm just saying. Okay, number two, get this one, you guys. Robotics. This is really bad for the working class because in the future, the uneducated will not be able to find work. Why? Because factory jobs are going to be done by robots. Believe it. Perfect example, Foxconn. Okay. Foxconn is a Taiwanese uh, based company. All right. And this company, they basically uh, handle their original design manufacturers for technology all throughout the world. I mean, they have plants in China, et cetera. When you heard about the bad uh, working, uh, you know, working environments for uh, Apple, that was Foxconn. Foxconn has 963,000 employees, almost a million employees across the world. Guess what they just did? They just bought one million robots. I rest my case. Okay. They just bought one million robots. All right, real fast. Intellectual property theft is on the rise. China is the main thief. And guess what? This cost the United States. Intellectual property theft has cost the United States 2.1 million jobs. So you have the economic situation of how, you know, companies are investing money that's hurting jobs. And then you have other countries stealing our intellectual property and reproducing it cheaper. If you think jobs are coming back, you got to create your own. All right. So what is on the horizon? Cyber weaponry and warfare. How we're going to fight in the future is over the Internet and it's going to hurt. I'm telling you. And then number, number two, begin to watch advertising. In the next four to five years, advertising will be completely unrecognizable. Why? Well, because Facebook knows more about you than you do. And so why would you pay uh, a, a media outlet millions of dollars when they could put it right there on your page? This episode of Inspirational Perspective was recorded at the Midway Broadcasting Corporation in Chicago, Illinois, on WVON 1690 AM, The Talk of Chicago. Thank you for listening. Go to Inspirational Perspective's Facebook page and like the page. Follow Linnell Harris on social media at the handle Linnell Harris. You can find him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with that handle. Text INSPIRED to 43783 to receive free inspirational quotes and updates.